Hello everybody and welcome back to Eyes of the Mize. My name is John, that's Ian. My arms are tired. Did I... you fly all the way back when you were at Seattle? Yeah, that was that was a joke. I flew in last night. Hey, Yay. tip your waitresses. Try the veal. That's... <laughs> yeah, that's why this is coming out a day late, but not a dollar short. Uh, here for episode 120, from sea to sight, from sea to shining Seattle. <laughs> I didn't think that was a tongue twistering, and yet somehow you made it that way. She sells seashells by the seashore. Yeah, I'm not even gonna try that. <laughs> Anyways, we're gonna talk a little bit about Ian's time at Magic Fest Seattle because that was this past weekend. Uh, Boy, howdy, weekend. what a time! And last weekend was also uh, the mythic championship three which was the first arena championship uh and hats off to the champion who is an argentinian argentinian arena grinder whose name i do not recall offhand matthias uh, lavrado thank you and then also big f's to um brad nelson for coming up just shy in the finals dude kai buddha still got it yeah i don't i don't think anyone should be doubting whether kai or by extension john finkel in any sort of magic um yeah fun fun fact atmosphere Fun fact, uh, Brad Nelson is one of only three human beings on this planet to beat Kai Buddha on Sunday at a Magic tournament. I mean... Three people, and he did it twice. Yeah, which is insane. So, um, for those of you who weren't kind of tracking, so there was like a winner's bracket. Like, once they, they won like the top four, they, the top two winners had like an easier path because then it was Shahar Shenhar and Kai Buddha that had to go head-to-head. Winner of that match went on to face uh, the loser of like the top bracket. I thought for Sunday they just reset everybody. Well, it was but like way the regardless they went. did the the winners bracket losers bracket where you have to get two losses to actually be eliminated. I know they did that for day two. Yeah, and then day three was the I think I think it was just a four man bracket and you got two losses and you're done because. Um, Kind of spo- mini spoiler alert: Brad Nelson uh, had to go to the losers bracket because he lost in the the winners semis, and then and then um, I believe what they say in um, fighting games is he like uh, equalized the bracket um, or something like that, where he played in the finals against Matthias uh, and won, so they had to play a final winner take all game. Gotcha. So he hadn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is fair. why Brad Nelson had to beat Kai Buddha twice on Sunday, which is no small task. No, but as far as standard goes, the, probably the one person to do it currently would probably be Brad Nelson. As we've been saying since like the podcast was started, you know, I wouldn't. It's really hard to bet against Brad Nelson in standard. It's really wow. hard. It's really been that way since we started, huh? Because he was yeah. kicking butt back. It was all the way back in Theros because our one of our first episodes was a uh, farewell seed rhino. Yeah. Like Brad Nelson's just really good at standard. It's uh, and has it's been kind of scary how good has he been is consistently. At, yeah, how good he is at just reading metagames. He hasn't put up as many like big results as you know some other players have, but he's still consistently at the top. And there's a reason why he's in the MPL. So yeah. Anyway, congrats, we're also going to talk. Congrats to, yeah. to congrats to Matthias. I think it's Matthias. Matthias. Matthias Leverado. Congratulations. Yes. And also, once Ian's done talking about Magic Fest Seattle, we'll also dive into some core 2020 previews because the A, the PPR is this weekend. And uh, it's Friday. It's, it's literally, Friday. if you're listening to this on Thursday, congratulations. It's tomorrow on yeah. Friday. Oh, the my God. All, 
<laughs> the oops all lure edition because I bet they couldn't scramble together. Uh, um, so guests. they were trying to, but at such a last minute, plans fell through. So they just yeah. went oops all lure, which is totally fine because it makes sense because you get the core lure cast for core 2020. It's kind of a- cheeky that way. That is very cheeky. But they Graham cheeky. has indeed said that they are Graham and James have both said that they are reverting back to the regular guests will be appearing on uh for archery. whatever the fall set is because we don't know what that's called yet yeah all we know is his code name is archery so whatever archery is well, that's archery what, uh, is this sport where you have a bow and it's oh my a God. long wood <laughs> anyways Jesus. Uh, ian go ahead and tell us about your time at magic fest seattle so it started off very auspiciously i guess you could say uh at, at 12.50, so my, I flew out there on Thursday morning, uh, but on Thursday morning at 12.50 a.m., I was getting into bed, and, you know, Google can read your emails and see when you have flights and everything like that. If you let it, uh, I do, because whatever. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not whatever, but yeah, don't don't judge me. That said, uh, I had a, you know alert saying, hey, your flight is at this time. You're good to go. It's on, it's on time. And it had been that way all evening long. I let it sit in my... Uh, message door because why not uh at twelve fifty one, going to bed do one final check my notifications and i see my flights canceled and i'm like what the heck is going on pop over to my alaska air app flights canceled pop over to flight aware to double check or triple check in this case it's canceled panically message Lindsay, who i've been talking to i'm like uh my flight's canceled what the heck is going on call up alaska uh that was a very helpful lady actually who told me okay well yeah it's canceled due to weather and i'm like yeah there's no weather here she's like well it says it's due to weather and i'm like trust me it's not weather the plane is on the ground already in dc i checked that plus also i'm living in dc it's literally not cloudy outside at night and there's no red rain schedule for tomorrow what the heck apparently there were some other issues with other planes for alaska coming out of dc that day too but my flight out was due to, I, I only knew that because the person I sit next to on my flight to Seattle or to Minneapolis, which is my layover station, uh, because I got, so originally they scheduled me for 6 p.m. or flight to Seattle instead of flying out at 8 a.m. And I'm like, no, I have stuff I have to do because uh, Lindsay and I had to pick up our marriage license. Yay. Hey. Because otherwise we'd have to get notaries and that's when it gets ugly and mm, no, pass. So went out there. Arrived in the afternoon. It was fine. We arrived. It was good. I had a two-hour layover in Minneapolis. Love your airport. It's great. I just stayed in the Delta Lounge because I could get in and I got free breakfast. But yeah, apparently somebody, my seat pass, seat partner, next door buddy, whatever you want to call him on the planes, uh, said they were going to, they were flying out of Dallas as well and also had their flight canceled. So instead of flying to Dallas, I had a flight of uh, Reagan National which was also hilarious, but also had an 8 a.m. flight, so it didn't matter. Time was still the same. Got to Seattle, got my marriage license, uh, had lunch, kind of relaxed a little bit. They went to downtown area, uh, went to the GP, didn't really do anything on Thursday, uh, but I did see a bunch of people, hang out a little bit. I think we jammed a Canlander game or two. Uh, it was quite a different weather. Uh, it was like 70-something, perfect weather all weekend. Then a bunch of us went out to the Pine Box for dinner with a bunch of Lure folk. Uh, that was really fun. And then got some drinks at the bar. Uh, but not the bar. If those of you know who uh, PAX South, it's not the bar, but it's the PAX West bar that everybody goes to in the Sheraton. 
because that's where all the cool kids like to hang out for PAX. So we went there. That was a good night. Went home to uh, Lindsay's afterwards after dropping some people off. Then the next day, we kind of got a late start of it on Friday because we didn't really have to be anywhere until 1.30 for the Canadian Highlander thing. Uh, I got dropped off because Lindsay had to work for school, one of her last days of work. Uh, we got some delicious, delicious pastries. And while I was taking the light rail up from down where she lives, down near the airport, uh, I we all had to disembark from one of our trains. I was like, oh my God, travel for me this weekend is God awful. We had to get off the light rail for some reason. Don't know why. We had everybody disembarked. They pulled the train off the line and then they brought a new train, but it was actually the next train in the schedule. So we had to fit two trains worth of people. It was crowded. Uh, but I made it up there. It was great. Then we ended up getting burgers for dinner at Tap House. Um, I went in the Canlander event. I think it was like one, one, and one. I got tickets for it. I used it on Magic Packs later. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so we actually had to go pick some cards up after dinner at Card Kingdom. But it's actually Mock Seattle, the one up in Ballard. So we went up there just to pick some Lindsay's, Lindsay's cards up. She could play some Canlander because she had got some upgrades for her deck. And while we were there, we just happened to look across the streets like, oh, there's Olivia. Oh, there's a whole bunch of other people we know. Oh, that's our friend Robert and Hallie's car. Oh, everyone's around it because there's Kirby. So their, their lovely Corgi Kirby was drawing a crowd. And because that's where the party for all the Card Kingdom uh, affiliates were. And we didn't, we just kind of popped in, said hi. Because we basically knew everybody there. <laughs> it's kind of bad. I don't think there was a single CK uh, affiliate partner there that I didn't know at the party. So, hi CK. <laughs> anyway, next day, uh, we uh, was the main event for me on Saturday. I, did the, I didn't do the Friday one because I wanted to play in the Canlander event. Because there was no scheduled Canlander on Friday. However... It ended up actually having a Canlander event on Friday because they ran out of Chaos Sealed product because they were offering a Chaos Draft on demand and also Battle Bond Drafts on demand. They also ran out of Battle Bond as well. So got my coffee at my favorite spot in the morning. Uh, I also took the light rail up that day too. Was not too bad. Got my coffee, got up there, and yeah... Got an interesting seal pull. Again, I was talking with John, and he made the thing. It's not the worst thing to have, right? Where you have two decks in a sealed pool. It really isn't. No, it's it's definitely... The, the, the only problem with that, and I know, oh my god, I have two decks in my pool, is that either they're both very good, both mediocre, or they're about equal to the point where it's like, this isn't amazing, but it's not bad, and you have trouble picking which one is better. I had that problem. So my... Uh, my pivot color was basically red because I had two magmatic sinkhole, which is a five and a red instant with delve that deals five damage to target creature planeswalker. And I had one pyrophobia. So pretty decent removal. That was basically the only real like hard damage removal or even destruction removal that I had based in my deck. So I could have gone either Mardu or Teemer. I had a pretty interesting Mardu deck where I had a bunch of shape. I didn't actually post this, but I had two putrid goblin. One Undead Augur, a Gluttonous Slug, two Imposter of the Six Pride, a Wart Eye Witch, Plague Engineer, Sling Gang Lieutenant, Rank Officer, Yogmoth, 
Yeah, stupid sexy Yawgmoth, a regular cohort, Valiant Changeling, and a Silumgar Scavenger, plus Return from Extinction, Pyrophobia, two Reprobations. I actually have three of them in my pool. That's the uh, one in a white enchant creature. Uh, enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a coward creature with base power, toughness 1 and 0. Or 01. So it becomes an 01. Uh, had Birthing Bowels to make a bunch of Changelings, which are goblins. Had Falcon and Vicar to kind of help fix the mana, which wasn't too great. Had Generous Gift and the two Sinkholes. Had a Forgotten Cave, which is the red cycling land. Uh, a Snow-Covered Mountain, Snow-Covered Swamp, two Snow-Covered Plains. Had a Hall of Heliage Generosity, which I played and I probably shouldn't have, but with the number of reprobations I had, the plan was with my deck to either get Plague Engineer out and then start using a reprobation Hall of Heliage Generosity loop where I just name uh, Coward and then just start putting reprobation back on top of my library continuously and just killing whatever threat they had on the battlefield. It never worked, but I also had Yogmoth, which can sack a creature and then put a minus one, minus one counter on it and, you know, kind of do that with Reprobation. Not as great value engine there, but I figure if I had enough mana to like be cranking out goblins or shapeshifters with the uh, birthing bells, then whatever. I did make a mistake. I mean, being able to always draw a removal spell that kills whatever your opponent has dead is still pretty good. Yeah, and plus Putrid Goblin is hilarious with Yogmoth. I had two of them. Mm. So let me tell you, like I, I, uh, I didn't do well in the GP. I went uh, one, one, and two, which is technically which is impressive. Getting two draws. Yeah, I got a draw in round one and a draw in round four um, to basically end the GP. Uh, round one, I had a feature match, but it's a feature match where you know there's no cameras and there was literally only two t- tables for the feature match for when I was up there. At least they had pulled two people out. Uh, actually, fun side story on this one so i was brought up there because i know alex ullman who is we've mentioned many times on the podcast for pauper he was actually there doing work for channel fireball as a photographer uh namely for their feature match area so a lot of the the photos you saw of people at gp seattle this weekend were taken by alex so he picked he helped get a hand in who was in the feature match area i was in the bathroom when round one pairings were posted and they were announcing who the feature matches were in one of our discords uh I got a message adding me saying, hey, Dix, you got a feature match. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so I asked two judges and like, yeah, we don't know the feature matches. So I walked up to the feature match area, saw Alex. I'm like, give like the way what? Like the shrug shoulder. And he's like, yeah, you're here. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I sit down, I play. Turns out there was only one feature match that happened that time because somebody never showed. Literally the other feature match was a brought there because one of the players is a very popular uh pauper player on magic online you might have seen the results as 420 dragon they love playing uh esper familiars hmm. the uh the deck that used to do the whole peregrine direction shenanigans right yeah and looping thing hmm. fun fun um, fun but so he was paired against Brittany hamilton aka mtg nerd girl hmm. so what's hilarious about that is that I guess Brittany the night before wasn't feeling very good or just never showed up. Like she thought she had dropped from the event or something like that. I don't know exactly uh, what happened, but she just never showed up for her day for her day one B is what they called it. The Saturday event. She never showed up for day one B deck build, but they still had her on the sheets. So well, that's awkward. I'm pretty sure like originally the guy who got paired against her was a friend of Alex's because of Popper 
So that's why they were in the thing. But it turns out that she accidentally didn't know until I saw her later that night. And I was like, oh, yeah, were you supposed to plan the thing? She's like, yeah, I just never showed up. I'm like, you know, you were technically had a round one feature match, right? And she was like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, you had a round one feature match. And for some reason, they didn't remove you out of there. <laughs> so she she started laughing about that later on in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I had a couple issues with my mana. Um most of the games I lost were where I kind of just, my deck stalled out on me um, as it usually happens. I don't feel like I played very poorly. There were a couple times I did miss some Wart Eye Witch triggers, which is when Wart Eye Witch or another creature you control dies, you scry one. So I did miss a couple scries in a couple games, but it turns out that none of the cards I would have needed to scry away were cards I would wanted to have scryed away. So I kind of lucked out there. Mm. Um, I actually got the for the second week in a row during a uh, Modern Horizons GP, round three, game one, I won by default because my opponent showed up late. Two weeks in a row in round three. Ouch. Yeah. So the the sad part was, though, my round three opponent, Carl, didn't know that if you show up late, it's technically a game one loss. He thought that would apply after 10 minutes. I'm like, no, that's you just lose the round after that and you get dropped from the event. Uh, if That's you just if you show up if you well you show up like ten minutes late to your thing unless you had a reason you get dropped yeah normally like at PPTQs or MCQs they announce it and they say they do the zero and ten but usually that's still the same as it is at a GP where it's you know it's comp REL if you if you're yeah if you're not sitting down that's a game loss if you're not there in ten then it's a round loss round so. loss and DQ or yep what's it called drop from go event. home. Um, yeah, like I said, I didn't feel like I didn't play very badly. Um, game two, round two, I rolled a six, kept a, uh, hand that was like, yep, if I just get one more of this, I had a double pips in my hand and just never drew my double pips for what I needed. And that was, I didn't touch my opponent's health total that game. And then round three, they just want me. I didn't unfortunately write down what they were. My first round opponent was Jensen, who was Mardu Blue. I tied with them because we basically, I rolled a five and was like, Oh boy, not like this. I actually mulled a six in game two and just spanked my opponent. Um, somehow the mulled a six works. And then I mulled a five in game three. And I'm just like, oh God, please don't let my tournament be over on a mulled a three. Like already round one loss, but no, we drew. It got to the point where I was actually fetching and there's like turn three. He's like, look, I don't even have the win. If you don't have the win, let's just scoop. And I'm like, I like it. I like where you're going. I like, like where your head's at with that. Turns out we were the last round that people were waiting for too, which is funny. <laughs> When, of course. When you're in the feature match area and your time starts, the game starts late anyway, and you go to turns and you're basically on turn five. Yeah, of course they're waiting on us. But um, uh, of course, my my favorite play of the weekend was using uh, Yogmoth and manipulating the stack well, because one of my opponents, I believe it was Carl. Um, I'll tell about game. Actually, I think it was Carl. Yeah, it was Carl in this one. Basically, he scooped once I did this kind of thing. Like two or three turns after this, he scooped. So I had my he had a plague engineer out, and I had he had named Goblin. Mm-hmm. And what I did was it might have been another game. That might have been might have been round one. Either way, whatever round it was, uh, opponent had a plague engineer out naming goblins, and I had a putrid goblin out and Yogmoth. Oh no! Yeah, you know it's coming. Putrid Goblin was, uh, so I sack Putrid Goblin to Yogmoth. So stupid sexy Yogmoth throws a minus one, minus one counter on the Plague Engineer. I draw my card and with the, uh, 
I've got persist trigger from the putrid goblin on the stack. I'm like, I want to respond to my own trigger. The card I just drawn was a land and I'm like, oh cool, I don't need this. So I pay black, black, discarded the land I had just drawn off the minus one, minus one counter to proliferate the one counter on the plague engineer to kill it and then let the putrid goblin resolve as a one, one. Yep. It was, I, it was one of those things where I'm like, it's not a super technical play, but at the same time, the fact that I saw that line to let me kill this plague engineer because I was sitting with um, my, uh, what's it called? My siege gang lieutenant in, or sling gang lieutenant in hand, which would just die straight up to hit, hitting the battlefield. So I had to loop the plague engineer out of the way. And then the next turn, I just stick the sling gang lieutenant and he was like, yeah, we're done here. I'm like, sorry. Turns um, out that this limited format is complicated. Yeah, I actually took my round two opponent from seven to zero in one turn by looping a bunch of goblins. Yeah, that'll, with, do. Uh, that'll do. And and killing them out with a uh, sling gang lieutenant. I kept yep. stalling, 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 and then it was just like and sack and kill and sack and kill and sack and kill and sack and kill. Yeah, I took him from eight with goblin sacks. So the funny part is, is this, actually, this is my I wrote down it was my round four opponent James, who was on blue white flyers, but actually had a better Jeskai deck. The dude had a Sarah in his pool, like oof. Yeah, um, that card's really hard to beat. So it's funnily, funnily enough, like he he had the battle screech for birds, right? And I put plague engineer down, naming birds because he had had the mm. uh, the four three bird. I'm like, I'm just gonna name birds, not realizing it's a bird wizard as well. <laughs> And there was another, there's another smaller bird wizard. Turns out like the next three creatures he played were also wizards. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I could have named wizards and been like, got them and totally ranched them, but I didn't. So, I mean, to be fair, shutting off battle screech seems pretty good still. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, but then I just basically got absolutely ran over by Sarah and then we drew in game round four. It was sad. Um, we kind of talked about it. We're like, yeah, we want to just like keep going. I'm like, yeah, I'll probably just play one or two more rounds. And then like, I was just kind of miffed and I was like, yep, yeah, mind. Just scooped and like withdrew. And unfortunately I could not give my opponent the retroactive win, which stunk, but oh well. I then went and got sushi with Lindsay, then had some massive friending and saw some people and hung out and talk wedding stuff with stuff with my officiant who was also at the event. And then Lindsay and I went for an insanely delicious and expensive dinner, but we hadn't had a date night in a while, and it was nice to have a date night. And there that was and that was my Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sunday, went to the GP for a while. Uh, didn't go for too long. Uh, Lindsay wasn't feeling too well that night. Oh, I didn't even mention like on Friday, like ended up hanging out with a bunch of the uh, cosplayers and playing Commander until like one in the morning or twelve thirty in the morning, which is a very bad idea when you have a GP the next day. <laughs> Terrible life choices were made. But As someone I who did that at literally the GP where you and I met, yeah, I can concur. <laughs> I mean, we did go up to the room and like bird the draft because we were drafting our own draft and then went upstairs and yeah. No, no, this was this was before the main event at that, that JP Vegas because I stayed up. We stayed up too late doing other things. So I was like dead tired because I remember texting you being like, dude, I'm going to go to the room and crash. Good luck. And then I no, wake it, up and it's like 3 p.m. or whatever. Yeah, no, no. It was up. It was uh, Graham, the girls from... Uh, I thought that was the next... I thought that was either that night or the next night. Oh, whatever. One of those nights where there was that birdie yeah. that draft. It was fine. Well, anyway, so Sunday, I go there. We go just to kind of like hang out and have some fun, maybe do a little bit of something. Uh, Lindsay realized that she had left her playmat at the dinner we had had the night before. So 
We had to go there first. Find turns out they didn't quite know where it was yet. So we said, Hey, call us back. So we get down to the G we get down to the convention center. The, the restaurant was only like down the hill. If you, if you've been to the Washington convention center, it's kind of like right over the highway, like literally kind of over the highway, but up the top of the hill is the beginning of what's called Capitol Hill neighborhood. Uh, the restaurant we went to was in Cap Hill, like right around the corner from it. So we didn't go too far. Uh, we get to the event and we're hanging out with some people and she gets a call saying, Hey, yeah, we actually, our night crew got back to us. And, uh, by the way, your stuff is here. Come get it. So she had to run back up there, came back. And while she was up there, I ran into some other friends of mine, Dennis, again, from uh, channel fireball events. And he was like, Hey, we're about to do this chaos or about to do this battle bond draft. Cause apparently battle bonds sold out, but we had the last packs of battle bond that we nice. could find. So I ended up drafting Battle Bond with a bunch with seven people. That's right, seven people, not eight, seven. It's two headed giant draft. And we did oh, with, you were in that draft. I was in that draft. I was in <laughs> Gavin versus Adam draft. I was in that draft. It's kind of great. Hashtag humble brags. Uh, if, you, if people don't know what that draft was about, uh, Gavin and Adam basically got into this challenge over Battle Bond, and so. Gavin drafted by himself his team, and I think Adam was on a team with Ben Wheeler. If I he was, correctly. yeah, he was with Ben Wheeler. The, the the pictures from that are just amazing. Oh, the meme that was created by the Channel yes. Fireball photographer. So in that yes. in that picture, actually, where uh, Nissa cosplay, where Nadine is uh, giving the side eye, stink eye to Gavin, you can actually see Lindsay's playmat that she had just gone back to the restaurant and picked up. It was the red panda playmat. That's Lindsay's. <laughs> Um, but yeah, apparently what happened with Gavin and Adam and all that is, uh, they dra- drafted a really sick blue black deck that had, a, I think it was Dinrova horror in it. It was gross. Like their deck was just disgusting. I ended up with like f- th- two mythics in our pool or three mythics in our, in Lindsay's of mine draft. Um, nice. we had the Archfiend of depravity. I think it is the, yeah, the one that's the wound reflection. Yeah. And then we had, I had, so let's, let's put it this way. Uh, True Name Nemesis is not that great in multiplayer formats. No, it is not. But I still ha- I still pulled, we still got one. Uh, Gavin passed it, and I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll just take this. <laughs> no big deal. And then my pack one pick one was actually Lantax. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to be degenerate. But yeah, Adam had a red-green deck that was pretty good. I, I looked through it. Um, they, they just got screwed on mana. Like, you know, happens. So that's how Gavin beat them. But we had fun. And I posted pictures of our draft decks. We can link it and stuff below. And then Lindsay and I were like, well, that's about all we need to do for the GP. Let's just head home. So we went and got Ding Tai Fung, which is some amazing food. Um, if you've never had Ding Tai Fung, it's basically like two locations in Seattle, one in Portland, one in San Francisco, and that's it in the United States. There's like four locations in the US and like 20 around the world. It's pretty good food. Mm. So we got some prize packs and stuff. Thanks to some people helping us out with some tickets. And literally, Je- Lindsay and I basically opened up a Jess Kai opening, like two different packs, completely different art on the front. And we had the same first three cards in the packs. Print runs or something, yo. It was weird. So it was Phantom Ninja, then Imposter of the Pride, or the first Pride, and then Spinehorn Imp- Minotaur. Imposter of Six Pride. Six yeah. Pride, yeah. And then I had choking tethers, and then she had the gluttonous slug. That was what changed it up. But yeah, still the first three cards yeah. in two different packs, completely picked from different parts of the box, was weird. Like it wasn't even like next to each other. We just like I literally the guy handed me the box. I'm like two different packs from different. I picked packs from all over the place. Yeah. Anyway, G- uh, Magic Fest Seattle was great. It was my last of th- 
three in three week magic tournament streak. I'm happy as heck that I'm not going four for four because originally the plan was to try and go four for four with uh, SCG Pittsburgh this weekend. And oh my God, I would have been dead. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'm not driving five hours to Pittsburgh, even though I have friends up there, but sorry guys. I could have gotten free tacos is, too. Cause apparently I, that is reasonable. I apparently qualify as an influencer according to this one taco place that's nearby the convention center in Pittsburgh. Oh, if you are going to SCG Pittsburgh this weekend and you have over 1,000 Twitter followers, I don't know the name of the place, but it's apparently a taco place right near the convention center that if you show your Twitter account and you have over 1,000 followers, you get tacos for free. So that's a cool thing, I guess. But anywho. Jeez, I got to I gotta pump, pump up my numbers. Ah, some rookie, rookie numbers, numbers, son. Yeah, I'm at like 2,300, which is, I don't know why, but sure, cool. Thanks, everybody, who hey. follows me on Twitter. Uh, that'll be at the end of the show. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, that was that's uh, kind of a weird roundabout loopy thing for GP Seattle at, at Magic Fest Seattle because that's how it goes. Um, exactly. Vendors were pretty cool. Got to see a lot of cool people. Saw the cosplayers again, the loading ready run folks, a bunch of the Canadian contingent uh, that you know hangs out around Victoria with the Canlander groups. Got to see a bunch of them. Uh, so like Jer, a lot of the... North 100 podcast, all the cosplayers who are just absolutely lovely people, and a whole bunch of other people who have followed me on Twitter and said hi and all that other stuff. Seriously, if you do see me at events, don't hesitate. Um, just if like I'm in the middle of a match, this actually happened. With somebody who wanted to say hi, like I was in the middle of sideboarding after a really long game one, and I'm like, I I can't say hi right now. I can't talk. I I got a sideboard. <laughs> so yeah, just be just be considerate. Oh no no this was this was cool though like uh, the yeah. person I was talking to um, has autism he's a really cool guy so he, uh, he was he was he was worried that he upset me and I'm like no 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 you're fine I was just in the middle of a long sideboard and he's like oh okay I understand so mm-hmm. it was cool it was great getting to meet all the lovely people and such I miss them but yeah I'm glad to be home <laughs> but also not working because yes works draining with wedding and life and other stuff but anyway absolutely. That said, I had blast. Let's talk about Core 2020 for the last like half yeah. hour of the episode because I've been rambling on. Exactly. So let's go ahead and kick things off with the big mythic cycle. Um, core sets have been known to have big mythic cycles since the mythic rarity was introduced back in M10 and M11. I think they both had the cycle of Titans. Uh, then in M15, the last numbered core set before M19, they had they had the um, souls. Yeah, the souls that were supposed to be Titan-esque. Um, you know, Solotheros was pretty legit, though. Solotheros was really hard to kill. It was the, the, the craziest. It was the, the Stone Cold Nutter Butters. It was standard playable um, for a while. For a little bit, yeah. Cyborg, but uh, yeah. So, so we saw Caval- the Cavalier of Flame back in the first day of previews, and we talked a little bit about it, I believe, last week. And then we find out that it's actually just a full cycle. Uh, we're not going to talk about all five of them, but I did want to bring up at least two of the two of them. Uh, the first is the Cavalier of Dawn. Uh, it is two white, white, white for a four, six uh, Vigilance Elemental Knight at Mythic. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, destroy it to one target non-land permanent. Its controller creates a three, three colorless golem artifact creature token. And then when it dies, return target artifact or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, all these Cavaliers have a ETB and a le- and dies trigger. Uh, Cavalier Dawns is actually pretty decent. The body is pretty strong. The hard part's going to be the two white, white, white casting costs, like it is with all these cards. 
Yeah, the, the and the thing is, the triple pips are like, oh god, we're going back to Theros and devotion. It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe we might. I mean, we'll probably get. I don't know if these are just supposed to be similar to the uh, MMM cards from uh, Dominaria, where they're supposed to be big, big incentives like Banalish Marshal, Goblin Chain Roller, and the like. Uh, but these cards are all kind of they're a little bigger. Yeah, they're all bigger. They're all they're all mid range cards. I don't think any of these are like like Glorybringer was for Mono Red being an aggro deck for a little bit. Um, yeah, no. But I think Cavalier Dawn is definitely interesting enough because it can deal with a problematic permanent that your opponent controls, or you could turn one of your like less relevant creatures into a three three, which. That's seven power and nine toughness over two bodies, which is not that bad if you're trading something up from like a one one. And I don't know if we've, I don't think we talked about it. It's on our list too, but there actually are other cards that care about uh, golems in this set. There's like two. There's Master Splicer in white. Yeah, which is the three. Which is a reprint from New Phyrexia. Three and a white one one. When it enters the battlefield, create a three three colors golem artifact creature token and creature golems you control get plus one plus one. It's the only splicer in the set. <laughs> it's the only one. Yeah, and well, also, but it, this is also the second time it's been reprinted. Actually, it was also in yes. Modern Masters twenty seventeen. It was. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you can possibly even pump up that golem if you happen to get lucky enough and get one of the uncommons that goes with it. So. Huh. Yep. Uh, then the other Cavalier that I definitely wanted to mention was the Cavalier of Night. Uh, this is the Black Cavalier to BBB for a Elemental Knight at Mythic. It has Lifelink. It's a 4-5. Uh, it says, when it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature. When you do, destroy target creature and opponent controls. All right, so it comes into play, Bone Splinters, sure. Uh, when it dies, return target creature card with converted mana cost 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So unearth? Uh, basically. Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about Cavalier of Night is because I think that this is the one that is most likely to be a bonkers cube card. I don't know how good it's going to be in standard. I think it's probably going to be fine because being able to trade something like a a creature that you know dies into something else or a creature that dies for value or another Cavalier of Night and then being able to get back a three drop is probably going to be pretty good, but... You could do some stupid things with Cavalier of Night and Eternal Witness. Um, oh, no. Because <laughs> Eternal Witness is a three CMC creature. So you could like play Cavalier of Night, sack your Eternal Witness to destroy one of their creatures. They kill the Cavalier of Night. You bring Eternal Witness back into play, pick up Cavalier of Night. And if you have a, you and if you have things, a sack out, you can just sack the Cavalier to sack out and just do the loop. Exactly. Also, Cavalier of Night's pretty bonkers with um, Recurring Nightmare. So like, let's say I have Recurring Nightmare... Cavalier of Night and Eternal Witness. Thanks, I hate Three it. Three cards that all go great together. Thanks, I hate you it. You know, sacrifice the Cavalier of Night to the Recurring Nightmare, bring back your Eternal Witness and bring back some other creature, and then you use the Eternal Witness's ETB to get some other card out of your graveyard, replay the Recurring Nightmare, sack the Eternal Witness, get back the Cavalier of Night. It's You can just do some really crazy things with this. Um, a card that I don't think is played in a lot of cubes but would go really bonkers with this particular loop would be Priest of Gix. Which, if you don't know what that is, don't worry. It's two and a black for a 2-1. I think it's like a human wizard or something like that. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you make BBB uh, mana. Oh, God. There's a start- red version in New Phyrexia. You start making mana. That's gross. Well, not necessarily making mana, but you, you see the point. It, yeah, you, you're, you, you're, you're mana neutral if you're doing this loop. Yeah, you can, so, get, so you can, get, I'm saying you can get mana out of it, which is what I meant. Yeah. Uh, so Cavalier Knight has the, I think, highest uh, abuse case out of all of these cavaliers that's fair um and the other one just brainstorms eot 
or you know, yeah like so the, the blue one it brainstorms when it comes into play and then when it dies you shuffle it into your deck and then you scry two and it's also a five five flyer for five like that card this card is really really good but i think you're paying a lot of this cost for the five five flyer for five i mean not necessarily it's french vanilla like a brainstorm yeah but say la vie yeah it's a it's a french vanilla five five for five that is next to impossible to get rid of unless you exile it yeah uh, speaking of cards that are really hard, or cards that are really good at getting rid of things that are hard to get rid of, Ian, what does Eternal Isolation do? The one in a white sorcery at Uncommon, put target creature with power 4 or greater on the bottom of its owner's library. Hey, look at that. You can just stick that cavalier on the bottom. You know what this card is really good at answering? What? God Eternals. Yo. I didn't 100% even... that this card is exists because of God Eternals. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, because that dies, because they have dice to... Because they have dice triggers, and if they're exiled from the battlefield triggers, yeah, so you just put, so, just tuck it on the bottom of the battle, tuck it on the bottom. Now, granted, it is a sorcery, but this is a very powerful effect. It's cheap. Um, I can see it easily hitting uh, sideboards. Yeah, in, I, like it's Esper definitely going to be a sideboard card in standard. Yeah, definitely a sideboard card. Don't know if it's going to see a lot of play, but this is this is the outlet for God Eternals. I think we got our three month, our three months with the God Eternals, and now Eternal Isolation is going to be. For now, the answer for them. Funnily enough, they didn't really see much. They didn't really run roughshod over the format, though. I mean, God Eternal Kefnet was the best one. Um, and then there's also God Eternal Oketra, which actually, Eternal Isolation doesn't hit God Eternal Oketra. It only hits the other two or the other three. Yeah. So, anyways. Either This who. card is going to see a lot of play. Speaking, uh, speaking of gods. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ian, I put this card on the list, but I'll let you go ahead and talk because we, we kind of. Kind of, I spent a little bit of time talking about the Cavaliers. What does God's Willing do? God's Willing is a reprint from Theros, Conspiracy to Take the Crown, Masters 25, Ultimate Masters. But it's back in standard. And this time as an uncommon, because it was common before. Uh, it shows, goes to show you uh, the power of this card. It's an instant for one white mana. It's uh, uncommon now. Target creature you control gains protection from the color of your choice until end of turn. Scry one. That's right, kids. Protection continues to be back, even though they said they're getting. Yeah, we rid talked of it. about it a little bit last week. Uh, this is the white protection card. Uh, they put one in each color, and then they put the the green one is a rare, which we'll talk about later. Um, God's willing is a bonkers card. It's going to be bonkers with tenth, tenth district legionnaire, the red white two two with haste from um, War of the Spark that basically has put a heroic put a plus plus a counter on this creature. Scry one. Um, and also, the fact that God's Willing is an uncommon is probably one of the best things to happen to the card, because I'm going to miss it being a common so that I could get, like, three of them, but I'm also not going to miss it being a common so my opponent doesn't have, like, three of them. Um, yeah, that was, that was always lovely and fun. The card's really annoying to deal with, yeah. um, they, but it's just... It was definitely put it uncommon for the draft part. Yeah. Just because, like, at common, it was... I mean, in Theros, originally, when it was printed with the you know, heroic mechanic, it was the perfect heroic enabler. Just you get a Wingsteed nut was it Wingsteed Rider? Wingsteed Rider. And you just go ham. Yeah. Gets out of hand quick. Um but ways to shut cards down though, if you don't want to, you know, deal with it that way or give protection or kill it. Pacifism, the one in a white enchantment aura is back at common. So this is probably gonna be a good way to indicate, hey, this is how we want white to have removal in this set. With, well, with, also, there's a great article that came out last Friday um, where basically uh, Andrew Brown, for, a.k.a. at Merklerker on Twitter, 
uh, member of play design basically said, listen, we're going to try to make commons more exciting. Like murders back at common. Uh, there's a two and a white two, one flyer that when heirs of the battlefield draw a card at common uh, put, and putting pacifism at common is them ramping up the removal after having seen Theros and Kanza Tarkir, where they kind of like push the removal back at common. Now we're seeing really good removal back at common and we'll see what that, what that does to the limited format because I want to say that, you know, with that kind of de-emphasis on removal, you know, the past, the limited formats from Theros to now have, for the most part, been pretty good. Like, Kanza Tarkir is one of the best limited formats of all time. Dominaria is one of the best limited formats of all time. Uh, Kaladesh is my personal favorite draft format. Shadows of Innistrad and Eldritch Moon were both fantastic. You know, there's a lot of really good limited formats we've had with the de-emphasis of cheap removal at common. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Core 20 does with this pushing of it and then i think the real test is going to be whatever archery is because if archery's commons are as good as m20's commons especially the removal that's going to be the big the big turning point oh yeah popper anyway let's keep going because we gotta pick it up because i rambled too much but agent of treachery we're, we're shifting to blue now five blue blue two three human rogue you're like that's expensive but what does it do well when it enters the battlefield you gain control of target permanent that's right it's treachery but at, at the beginning of your end step, if you control three or more permanents you don't own, draw three cards. So this card is hilarious for Treachery Dot Deck, which exists in other formats. This is hilarious. This is the perfect uh, card for the perfect seventy-five percent EDH deck, which is if you don't know if you're familiar with the concept of seventy-five percent, it's you build a commander deck to be seventy-five percent powerful, and then you fill out the rest of it with just you know cards you like, not necessarily powerful ones. Um, but the perfect 75% deck is basically a blue-black deck with Lazav, Demir Mastermind as the commander. And all you play are mind controls, clones, and like forked bolts, and or not forked bolts, uh, forks, uh, copy spells. You just basically play with all of your opponent's stuff. It, it's the literal true Xerox dot deck, not the Xerox deck, which is a whole separate thing of drawing cards. But yeah, it's the, it's the one where it's like your best creature is also my best creature because you made this. Whatever. So cool. I'm gonna copy your homework. Yeah, this card is gonna be crazy in commander. If it sees playing standard, I will be shocked. I want that deck list. Cyborg card. It. Cyborg card out of control. There we go. Give me this deck. So Murfolk uh, players got a little excited because this next card, John. What is it? It is Brineborn Cutthroat. It's one in the blue for a 2-1 Merfolk Pirate at Uncommon. It has Flash, which is already pretty good. Not that Merfolk decks usually need it because they normally play Aether Vial. But that said, whenever you cast a spell during an opponent's turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Brineborn Cutthroat. So if you have multiple Cutthroats, they will trigger off of themselves. This also works great with counter spells against things like you know, wrath effects like damnation, wrath of God, and the like. Uh, this is going to be, I think, a lot better in Legacy because they play a higher density of counter spells like Force of Will uh, and like Spell Pierce as well. There's also there's also the uh, the Flash Bounce Merfolk. That's blue blue. Yes, um, Harbinger of the Tides. Yes. So the, there's a couple ways the they can do it. A tapped creature. I mean, it's not the most amazing thing, but everyone's like, "Hey, we finally got another Merfolk toy that can fit in mono blue Merfolk and not blue green." But also, it's 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 a merfolk that you need to you want to cast, and it wants you to cast spells in your opponent's turn with. But in cards like Ether Vile, don't do that. Yeah. So so it's something to to get around. Yeah. So uh, our our next card is one of our planeswalkers. It's Yu Yan Ling. So from the whole uh, what's it called? 
it was the international deck or the deck the international deck series or whatever which, it was which, international deck we dropped the series because it was only ever one deck <laughs> yeah but uh jace is getting jace is getting a break we're getting mu yan ling instead and what does mu yan ling's uh current iteration do so mu 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 yan ling there we go sky dancer as a one blue blue that's a three that's right three cmc planeswalker kids legendary planeswalker yan ling a mythic rare with two loyalty you can plus two to until your next turn up to one target creature gets minus two minus oh and loses flying minus three which she can't do when she lands is create a 4-4 blue elemental bird creature token with flying. And her minus 8 is you get an emblem with islands you control, have, tap, draw a card. The three best words in magic. So her ultimate's insane. Her ultimate's straight bananas. Just ridiculous. The fact that she comes out in two loyalty and pluses two so that she can minus three the next turn to actually get you the the good value out of getting a 4-4 elemental for three mana is obviously intentional. Yes. Starting her at two loyalty and giving her a plus two and not starting her at three loyalty and giving her a plus one is also obviously intentional. Yep. Um, I like her now obviously, top down great design. Yeah, great design. Um, I think that she's very powerful. I know that we had the maximum of the three mana planeswalkers always see play, but obviously War of the Spark, it really pushed that to the limit yeah. with some of those three mana planeswalkers because they're not the best. We had to ca- I mean, Some of them seen play. We basically had to caveat it with three mana mythic planeswalkers now. Yeah. And, you know, Muyan Ling has the ability to do so. Mono Blue is still going to be a really powerful deck until rotation. And this is a Planeswalker that could theoretically slot into that deck over something like Jace Cunning Castaway. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. So, um, it would be interesting to see how the, like, what archery, archery gives us. But we need to move yeah. along. I think we'll skip. We'll go ahead and skip the next jump one. to black. Ooh. And we'll talk I do about wanna, probably yeah, one of the. I do want to talk about Tail's End real quickly, which has some Go great ahead. flavor. So Tail's End is the one in a blue uh, instant at rare that says counter target activated ability, triggered ability, or legendary spell. So it's stifle with a little bit extra juice. And it's General Tazri, apparently. On the, oh, is uh, it? Yeah, people were guessing it's General Tazri from. Uh, but basically, the flavor text on it says, "When you are gone, will anyone remember your story?" Attributed to that does unknown. look like General Tazri and her armor. Yeah, interesting. It's attributed to unknown, though. So who? The funny part is, is the quote is remembered of who will t- who remember your story, but they don't remember who said it. Plus, also sick, uh, sick Hamilton reference. Yeah, that's also true. Um, let's go ahead and talk about probably one of the weirdest designs in the entire set, uh, which is embodiment of agonies. Embodiment Agonies is one black black for a zero zero creature demon at rare. Well, something's weird going on. Uh, it is a it has flying and death touch, and it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each different mana cost among non land cards in your graveyard. And it says in par- in parentheticals as reminder text. For example, two black and one black black are different mana costs. Yeah, it's. Very interesting and is looking for almost like a self-mill payoff in a way. It, it is. And the other thing is that it wants you to have a lot of different costs, which you're going to do anyways if you build a, a good curve. Right. But also, you know, the fact that two black and one black black are different is important for this card. But also, like, if you think about it, if you want to play this card in, say, Modern or Legacy where you can really abuse this, you know... Manamorphos is one red green hybrid. That is different than one in a red and one in a green. Yeah. Hybrid, hybrid mana gets really screwed with things. 
Alternatively, surgical extraction is a Frexian black, which is also different from black. So, so it's gut shot. So gut shot, surgical extraction, noxious revival, mutagenic growth, whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, the card it has – I don't know how good it is. It can get very big in the right format. It's just the question is, is a three-mana you know, XX flying death touch worth it? Yeah. And I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes, though. So I'm going to talk about the net, like the one I have highlighted in the yeah. thing. So I'm going to start us off saying Bueller. <laughs> the best name Bueller. in the set. Fry, fry. Yeah, yeah the card's Fry. <laughs> How we don't, haven't had the name Fry before is great, but it's Fry. It's one in a red, instant, at uncommon. This spell can't be countered. Fry deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker that's white or blue, aka get wrecked to fairy, you jerk. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to see a ton of play in modern. If they ever un- if they ever unbalance Splinter Twin, yes, it will. Uh, but it. The fact that it can also, you know, just kill to fairies. I mean, we do have ran- we have, do have rending volley though, which does the same thing. It's only a red mana. Yes. However, I think that being able to also have the utility of being able to play it against like blue white and kill either to fairy time raveler when it ticks up or to fairy uh, hero dominari when it ticks up is bigger. Oh no no yeah no fry, fry is great fry is I would not be surprised to see this hit modern sideboards. Like the only question between it and Combust, which is functionally the same card that except Combust doesn't hit Planeswalkers and its damage can't be prevented, like I think I think just Fry is just a little better in that regard. So Yeah, it, it's pretty nuts. It's yeah. moving on pretty pretty gross. Uh, moving on, we'll go ahead and talk about a card that I'm really excited for, also for cubes, because I've been thinking about my cube a lot. Oh, yeah, this is gonna be great in cube. Is is shared summons. Shared Summons is three green green for a instant at rare. Instant. This part card will also probably see playing standard. Search your library for up to two creature cards with different names. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. This is an instant that finds two creatures with different names. Now, this can also see modern play, depending on whether or not people really want to try to stretch their mana base to play this Kiki Jiki and the the untapped creatures like Deceiver, Exarch, or Pestermite. Just Teamer. But in cubes, this is going to be fantastic at basically A, doing that, but also in a, like a green mid-range deck, finding something like, I guess, Agra finding a Thrag Tusk and some other creature, or against Control decks finding Thrag Tusk and some other creature. It's it's really, really powerful, and I like what it... I like its design, and I look forward to seeing what people do with this in standard. I mean, when have you, when have you been the mono green ramp player and just like... Man, I would literally win next turn if I could just top deck my gosh darn Craterhoof Behemoth. Well, congratulations, kids. This is a second copy of Craterhoof Behemoth in your deck. It's a third if you have Tooth and Nail as well, because this is basically one of the modes of Tooth and Nail, except it's, you know, five mana and instant instead of seven mana sorcery. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's It'll see play for sure. Let's move on to some of the Wedge Legends, because these are really exciting. Uh, one of the decks that I'm maybe not necessarily known for, but I've talked about it before. But one of my first commander decks when I went on when I got my Magic Online account was Mono was Ashling the Pilgrim Mono Red Elemental Tribal. It is a really derpy deck. It also plays Blood Moon, so oh, yeah, be warned. Uh, but we have a third iteration of Omnath. This is Omnath Locus of the Royal. This is Omnath is now one green, a blue, red for a 3-3 legendary creature elemental that mythic. When he enters the battlefield, it deals damage to any target equal to the number of elementals you control. And whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus and plus counter on target elemental you control. And if you control eight or more lands, draw a card. 
Uh, it still kind of plays nicely with uh, the OG Omnath, Locus of Mana, being able to, you know, just get big with a lot of lands. And it works really well with Omnath, Locus of Rage, being able to, you know, do something with all these elementals. Yeah, it's a, it's a card. I know some people are like, oh my god, this is just going to be gross with uh, Animar. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, Animar's an elemental. It's Teamer. It's cute. I mean, if I'm playing Tribal Elementals and Teamer, I'm playing Omnath, not Animar. Exactly. No, yeah, absolutely. I'll play Animar in the deck, but I'm not playing it as the commander. Well, no, exactly. That's what everyone's saying. It's like, oh, this. And like, do you just play Omnath over Animar? Animar is just a value creature in your deck now at that point. It's like, yeah, I know. But still, I'm like, yeah, no, come on. Come on, kids. Uh, We're not speaking of <laughs> Speaking of value, um, arguably the most value-centric legendary creature we've seen in a while is Yarok the Desecrated. Ian, what does Yarok do? So, Yarok's interesting. It's two and a Sultai, so black, green, blue. So two black, green, blue for a 3-5 elemental horror legendary creature at Mythic. It has Death Touch and Lifelink. And it says, if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So it's Panharmonicon on a legendary creature. Yeah, it's gross. Also, this doubles... Any ETBs, because it's any permanent, not just creatures and artifacts like Panharmonicon was. So this doubles up landfall triggers. This doubles up uh, like constellation triggers. This card does a lot of things. Yeah, it's gross, and it's going to create some really degenerate Sultai stuff, because Sultai loves these kind of weird, interesting ETB-style effects. So Yeah. Hey, guess what? Your Snapcaster gets two targets now. I don't know how good that is, though. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying it's it's an ETB in blue. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was giving uh, examples. I'm last... not saying it's good examples. True. <laughs> and then speaking of ETB triggers, um, but I think that this is just uh, to kind of close that out because we're kind of running along. We're getting five of the Theros temples reprinted here in M20, and they are the enemy temples. So red, white, blue, red, white, black, green, blue, and green, black. Uh, these temples are getting reprinted with some really nice new art, especially the Temple of Silence art. The Temple of Silence art is really good. Um, and yeah, these card, this is going to be really interesting to see what these do in standard with the mana we have right now. Oh man, I just realized Yarok, Yarok actually is a non-bow with one of the other <laughs> cards, one of the other lands. <laughs> oh yeah, with <laughs> so there's a, there's a land Lotus Field. <laughs> when it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice two lands. Uh, Yarok is not a May, so goodbye four of your lands. Yeah, and it only makes three mana of any one color, so you're actually losing a land on that. Oh, man, I just realized that. That's great. Uh, anyway, Anyways. we're also getting not only just those five enemy Scrylands with some amazing new art, by the way. We're also getting back all of the Fate Reforged uh, ETB tap lands, all ten of them. Is it the Fate Reforged art? Fate Reforged. Some of it was fate, the... No, their Fate Reforged art. Because, so here's the thing. Fate Reforged and Kansatarkir slash yeah, Dragon's Tarkir have different art on them, if you look at So I'm going to use Thornward Falls as an example. Thornward Falls in Fate Reforged has... It, you can see the river. The trees are very small. In Thornward Falls, the other ones in the future sets, so Khans and Dragon's Tarkir, it's completely overgrown with a thicket. Like those two trees that are kind of not even like over the river are completely intermingled and intertwined because it's had a thousand years of growth. Uh, Tranquil Cove is more of a sandy beach as opposed to a grassy beach. Uh, the 
Jeskai temples on Swiftwater cliffs are completely eroded away in the future ones where it is in this art. You can see them. But yeah, it's it's the favorite forged art. I had to know yeah. about this specifically because of Pauper. I want my <laughs> lands to match, damn it. Also, Dismal uh, Backwater. I just thought that's I just thought they did a mix because the the one that's the most obvious, you know, which one if it's Fate Reforged or uh cons is Scoured Barons, but regardless. No, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely definitely the older or the the yeah. like an older and older in the timeline of the two yeah. but it's we're getting the t- the game lands back at common not uncommon which is great uh mana fixing ahoy dude mana fixing gonna your mana is gonna be so good in this set it's gonna be ridiculous yeah. I will, i'll probably have to draft this a couple of times to see how greedy i can get i mean to be fair we've like it's we are getting they, they were saying they were going for like you know the three color wedges of yeah. legendaries we and we get some week. of the good you know two color cards in there but to be fair a lot there's not a lot of gold cards that we've seen so far yeah there's no payoff for being as many colors as possible except for the rare um golos the tireless uh tireless pilgrim yeah but that anyway I mean, that said though it's it's nice knowing that you can kind of go into a format maybe pick up a couple off color splash lands you know Say like you, you. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting mana base thing to look at because with all those lands at common, you know how crazy are people going to get in this? Format? There's a lot of double and triple pips in this set too. Uh, yeah, so de- like we'll see. Green has a lot of th- triple pips. Uh, red has a couple yeah. that we've seen so far. Like, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Building your mana base might be one of the harder parts if you don't draft strictly two colors. Because mm-hmm. I mean, heck, but, if you have a Cavalier of the Dawn, and then somehow you open up a black, the black Cavalier as well, or no, say you go blue and you get the blue Cavalier, and you also have a Tempsis All Seeing. I know Magical Christmas Land is great. I get it. And then you open up one of the other. You open up Yarok. You open up Yarok or something like that, or your green, black, blue, yeah. and you have like three colors, and you're just like, well, I gotta jam this plus also the other ones. I can splash the black for Yarok, but you can get that with two of your tap lands, and yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this draft format shakes out because, you know, core sets are, tend to be pretty simple. But with the decisions of drafting lands, well, we'll see how it goes. In any case, I think that's going to do it for us. Ian, if people wanted to add to your absurd follower count, where can they do so? <laughs> if you guys want to do that, you're more than welcome to do so at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. It's on Twitter. You guys can also follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dicks. Um, I'm pretty much in a streaming hiatus right now uh, until the wedding is over and done with. So that's like end of August. I would love to stream more. I just don't have the mental capacity and or time to do so. I have way too much wedding stuff that needs to get done. But it'll come back. It'll be back eventually. It's just that it's understandable. You got to take care of yourself first. And I'm doing that. So I also haven't been in a whole lot of chats lately either because I kind of need some... Need, I get home from work and I'm like, uh, kill. let me go shoot some stuff in Destiny. That's about it. <laughs> anyway, John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. That's J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. You can also find me on Twitch at the same handle. If you see me floating around Twitch chat, don't hesitate to say hi. Uh, I just updated my cube. I might do some tweets on that soon, but really big into cube design, so... I'm excited to see what new cards do for cubes and all that other fun stuff. Yeah, I've been enjoying looking at your your uh, cube breakdowns. I don't know if I'm always right, but that's not the point. I mean, it's fun to look. Yeah. 
Also, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so in one of two ways. You can hit us up on Twitter at Eyes on the Mice, or if you have a more personal question, you can shoot us an email at eyesonthemise at gmail.com. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for you, our lovely listeners. On behalf of Ian, I'm John. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. Mm-hmm.